I came home in 2005 trying to do the right thing, trying to get any kind of help that I can get from, you know, county officials or what have you. There was nothing there. There was no help. I was told that I was only qualified for $10 in food stamps. Meanwhile, my children sitting there starving. And so I tried to work and work and work. And due to my incarceration, my felony on my back, I was only paid minimum wage. And I just couldn't make a li- I couldn't. I couldn't pay for nothing with that. Hello, listener. Welcome to the One in Four podcast. My name is Eric Bond, and I'm one of the producers of this second season. Today, One in Four reporter Crystal Marshall talks to Joseph Tolbert about his path to entrepreneurship and political organizing following his reentry. Crystal is a member of the Speakers Bureau of the Community Family Life Services, CFLS, a Washington, D.C. nonprofit that focuses on providing trauma-informed services to women returning home after incarceration. It also provides services to survivors of domestic violence and homeless families as they move toward self-sufficiency. We are uh, proud and pleased to be partnering with CFLS on this second season. In 2018, before the COVID crisis, the Prison Policy Initiative reported that 27% of formerly incarcerated individuals were unemployed, compared to the 4% reported in the general population. As you know, COVID has only made the situation worse. Crystal and Joseph talk about their shared experience at DC Central Kitchen, a resource for many returning citizens They also talk about the limitations of job programs in terms of paying the bills and building a career. Joseph decided to forge his own path by creating his own apparel line. Once again, many thanks to Crystal Marshall for bringing us this interview. Note that every once in a while, you will hear my voice jump in with a question. So my name is Joseph Tober III. I work at the Washington Hilton. I'm also a business owner. I own my own clothing brand. It's called BTDT. Been there, done that. I also advocate for returning citizens. And when I say advocate, I go down to Annapolis. I talk to legislators. Any way that I can help them as far as referral services, I do that as well. Currently, I'm in South Carolina working on the Jamie Harrison campaign as a lead organizer um, to get Jamie Harrison elected. I think that's pretty much it, a uh, community organizer. I was trying to get those titles that, <laughs> like I'm so in awe of your, your, your path since you've been home. Can you tell me a little bit more about your journey? Like I know the personal side of Joe, but like I think people are interested in who Joseph Holbert III is. So I will have to like, back up just a little bit right before I came home. Two-time convicted felon. Went to prison at 17 years old. I know you know the story, Crystal, but I'm just going to run it back a little bit. Went to prison at 17 years old. I served 12 years in the Maryland prison system. I came home in 2005 trying to do the right thing, trying to get any kind of help that I can get from, you know, county officials or what have you. 
There was nothing there. There was no help. I was told that I was only qualified for $10 in food stamps. Meanwhile, my children sitting there starving. And so I tried to work and work and work. And due to my incarceration, my felony on my back, I was only paid minimum wage. And I couldn't pay for nothing with that. I'm not kidding you. I went to right there on Bright Seat Road. And they, I had to show them my pay stub. When I showed them my pay stub, the person offered me $10 uh, food stamps a month. Not even a week or nothing like that. $10 a month. Wow. For you and how many kids do you have, Joe? Um, two. Wow. But my children were not living with me. Although they came over, they wasn't living with me. But did you get them for the weekends? And during the weekends, I'm sure you had to feed them. Absolutely. I mean, but even feed myself coming home from prison, like what, what could I do with 10? So my so let me tell you this. My rent, I was renting from one of the people that I was working for and my rent was eight hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. My entire check was going to my rent. That's why I went to social services to try to get a little bit of help. So after that, and I make no excuses and I always say I make no excuses for my behavior. So after that, I remember one day I was sitting in the parking lot and I was like, I can't, I can't live like this. Like I can't continue to, to work like this and can't pay bills and can't do this and struggling. And so um, I made a decision to go back to selling drugs. Like, but this time when I went back to selling drugs, I knew that it was going to be big. You know what I mean? I knew that I wasn't going to be no small time drug dealer because I knew it wouldn't have been worth the, the chance like your career path yeah and so i ended up back in the streets going hard in the streets and in 2011 um the fbi came and got me and like 13 others in a drug conspiracy yeah they found quite a large amount and so when they came and got me my my baby son now was one years old and here i am living it all over again about to go back to jail with a baby and all of this stuff all over again. Um, so I went on in. They didn't have much evidence on me, so I was allowed to cop out to five years. I jumped on that so quick, it ain't make no sense. And um, I came home in 2015, went to Hope Village Halfway House, and from Hope Village, I went to D.C. Central Kitchen. For D.C. Central Kitchen, you know, I worked under you for a minute, and then, um, I got employment at uh, the Washington Hilton, and that's where I'm still currently employed um, due to COVID. I'm not, um, you know, at work. So. This is only the beginning. Well, why did you choose the culinary industry as a back to work or tell me about that? I was just looking for anything, anything to help me to stay out of jail, stay off the streets anything that would provide for me and my family. And while I was in prison, I saw DC Central Kitchen, but I just brushed it off. And then when I got to the halfway house, my case manager, after seeing that I had my serve safe already from prison, was like, I got a great program for you. I'm sending you to DC Central Kitchen. And that's how I ended up in DC Central Kitchen. I really didn't think that they would be able to help me, you know, make my transition. Okay. My journey as a cook was something similar to yours. Like I came home after um, about 10 years of incarceration. And then while incarcerated, I worked as a cook. So my 
base experience was culinary. I chose DC Central Kitchen and I came by way of a community organization. But once I received my certification, I kind of found a glass ceiling. If no other way of putting it, like cooking is a means to an end and everybody needs to know how to cook to feed their own selves. But it's a lot of work. I hated it. <laughs> I hated to cook, but I will put my love, all the love I could into my food. But I hated cooking as a profession because it's hard. It's laborious. Like picking up those big bins of food and move. And Joseph, you remember I had skills. So I used to be on my feet for about seven to eight hours a day on a good day. So when I wanted to talk about, and I, I'm glad I chose you uh, because our stories are similar. You said that you started your company, been there, done that as, you know, your spare time. And now you are working and giving it to your what you make to other individuals and companies. I always had this vision of my own clothing line, BTDT, been there, done that. And. I just didn't have the money to go through with it. So when I came home this time, after getting myself together and getting my feet solid, I decided to try it. And I just bought some stuff and just went hard, went on Facebook. And next thing I know, it just took off for me. And then I was able to purchase, you know, my own embroidery machines and print machines and heat press and stuff like that. And now other people are coming to me with their brands to do their work. And so it's been a real blessing to me now in doing it. I know people oftentimes want to know what does BTDT stand for and where did I come from with that? Well, BTDT stands for been there, done that, right? And I think that I definitely qualify as one who has been there and done that. And and even um, with now being back on, you know, I guess the right track. Um, and what are all the things that I do in the political arena and the, the things that I got going on? I just wanted people to see that we have been there before. We done done that. And it's okay. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for us to get back on the right track. Don't trip off of where you've been. I don't care about being, I always say two time convicted felon and people be like, why do you, why do you always say that? First of all, it's a testament to who I am, right? And it goes right in line with my clothing line. Like I've been there and I've done that. And now this is where I'm at. So that's what went into the thinking of been there, done that. Tell me about any work experience or education that you received while you were incarcerated. Yeah. So like you, myself, I was a cook in the kitchen. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I learned how to cook, you know, do production work from prison, from from the kitchen mm-hmm. um, in jail. Also, I took every program available. I took construction. I took bricklaying. I took CDL training. I took keyboarding, computer I took everything on my serve safe and I have probably about seven other certificates from 
the restaurant association. I'm dealing with bar beverage management, food costs, controlling food costs, and all of those type things. Um, also have my paralegal certification that I took a correspondence course on. Um, so I took just about any and everything that was available in the federal system. The state system doesn't work like that. So all these training programs that you took, all of these different courses and specializations that you have achieved, are there any training programs that will help you get a career? Not a job, because there is a distinct difference. Yeah. Well, I could say it gets my foot in the door and then it's on me from there. Like the serve safe, I became a proctor and I was able to teach that. So the serve safe, I learned that in prison, I took a test to be a proctor. I took a test to become an instructor. I passed it flying colors and I was able to teach that. So that led me into other. That's a business in itself right there. It is. Teaching someone serve safe is a career in and of itself. Teaching the staff, like I don't held trainings at people's restaurants and stuff like that. So then the keyboarding, like like yesterday, I'm down here in South Carolina working on the Jamie Harrison program. I had to do some Google Docs. I had to do some things on Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that that I learned while while I was incarcerated. So uh, Eric asks, what is the difference between a federal and state system? I, I was curious because you were living in Maryland. Is that right? Yeah. And so you went into um, Maryland prison system. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about this because of the whole the D.C. issue. So and then in the second case, uh, because it was a, a federal police, you went into the federal system. Correct. And, and I'm just curious because... Um, if you were convicted of a felony in D.C., you go into the federal system, right? So Correct. you had a chance to see both of those systems in, inside. And, and I'm just kind of wondering from a career education or job education, training, whatever, did you see a difference between the two? Oh, absolutely saw a difference. The state system, you're only allowed to take one vocational training when you are two to three years within in anticipated release date. So I had 20 years in the state of Maryland. Um, I did not get my training until eight years in. In the federal system, as soon as you hit the door, you're eligible to take whatever classes they got available. In fact, they encourage it. They give you, I don't say points off, but it's like classification points. Like it goes, it helps you move down to a lower security based on how you're programmed. So um, I was take I was able in the federal system to take two and three certifications at one time as long as the schedule allowed me to. The state system is more so on warehousing and um, warehousing people. Yeah, warehousing people. Like I think it's ridiculous for someone to be locked up for ten years and only you only be allowed to take one vocational training, and that's two to three years out from an anticipated release. That's that's just ridiculous to me. What about those individuals who identify as transgender and are secluded in segregation due to no kind of violation of status issue? Like it have to do their time in segregation where I know it's four walls and a toilet. 
no books. Well, you do get a book once a week. Right. And you get a shower three times a week. But okay. you don't have any interaction except with the guards. And you don't have, like, any kind of outlet for your mind. Right. So I'll, I, I'll say, um, I know in the Maryland state system, there was no segregation based on your, your gender preference. Like, sad to say, if you came in the system, then they'll have you in there with us. Like, wow. you'll be here, you'll be there with us. And, you know, you know, all the horrible stories that come along with being transgendered in a male prison. Like, you, you can imagine, like, what's that like? In a federal system, I don't recall it either, but they didn't play in the federal system. You did something sexually to somebody in the federal system, you was, you was in trouble. But to speak to the point of being in solitary confinement, you're absolutely right. Like, you get one shower every, I think you get it like twice or three times a week. You get one shower, you come out Wednesday and Friday. Yeah. You get a shower. Um, you get the in phone. The morning, you, know. you better wake up because if they bang, bang, bang on that door and you don't look up and be ready. <laughs> and, and for women, it was in a nightgown, in a blue nightgown with a towel. So you can be excluded <laughs> by, hopefully you have a female guard, but most of the time you have a nasty male officer to walk you to the shower to leer at you to, through the bars. I heard <laughs> some horrendous things about females and, and, and the um, sexual exploitation of females in female prisons. Like I've heard some stories um, that people probably wouldn't even believe is going on in our female prisons. Like even not the go off subject, like even female prisoners are not being treated equally to male prisoners. Like we had a bill that we were fighting in the state of Maryland where the women in Brockbridge facility for women, they didn't have a uh, work release. Like how could the women in the state of there Maryland about it. not have work release? How could the women in the state of Maryland not have sanitary napkins for themselves. Joseph, you have to purchase them. And even in, in the state of Virginia, where I was incarcerated, they didn't have access to that. They didn't have access to toilet paper. You, They made you purchase that off of the commissary. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, that's probably the point that everybody needs to hear. I understand I did something wrong. I am here trying to make amends for it and at my good conduct or my going with the flow in your system set up to persecute me is me admitting I was wrong and me doing it, even whatever. So when I come out, I don't want to be still subjected to that same glass ceiling of, of living. I want to kind of like, hey, start new, start fresh. Then with Band the Box, I mean, we're speaking on that. Um, all Band the Box does is get you to the next step. But when you get to the next step, you find once they find out that you're a felon, guess what they do? They put you on the chopping block. I've been there with uh, MGM. Like, I was hired with MGM. I totally told them all of my charges, disclosed it in everything great reputable companies that run back your background check and and after they hire you and give you this hope of a, a, a consistent right. wage and a consistent check coming in every week they take it and you back to square nothing you know 
we all talk about recidivism, right? We all talk about why do people keep going back to jail? Why this? Why that? Like, if a person cannot get gainful employment, I mean, I don't think this is rocket science. If a person cannot get gainful employment, I mean, but just think about not having money to feed yourself and your family. The brain is going to result back to what it know to solve that problem. Your brain is going to say, okay, boy, you was getting money before. Money was never a problem before. But since money is a problem now, your brain is going to say, go get that work. You know how to get money. But if we are serious about uh, reducing the recidivism, we need to do something about these employment background checks and and uh, firing people after you have hired them. Because if you hired us, obviously, we did very well in the interview process. We are what you're looking for. We can do the work that you're asking us to do. If you gave me an offer letter, you, you had to be pleased with something you heard. And then a week later or two weeks later, the background check comes and you fire me. But you tell me it ain't because of your background. It's just a bad fit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, and it's going to take, and it's going to take all of us to close the gap. Like, it's going to take every last one of us to close the gap. The reentry society, how do we vote? Because I know in D.C. it's very, very easy to vote as a convicted felon or anybody generally. You just do it when you go get your license. I think the time is coming where we're going to be creating our own voting block. Um, our needs are different from the needs of those who have not been on the other side of the fence. Us knowing that we're returning citizens, we come together, we can form a pack, we can do whatever we have to do. We come together, we put our issues together, and we vet these candidates. And now we have become, well, we're already a voting block, to be honest. It's just that we have not organized together to say, hey, these are our concerns that we need to address with our legislators. This is what we're here to talk about. And once we do that, I think a lot of this stuff will change overnight. How did you get into political organization? I remember when I was in the Merrill House of Corrections, right? They call it the cut. And I remember around about 2000, 10, 11, something around there. They were discussing on Maryland Public Television about giving felons their rights to vote, give it back to us in Maryland. And I remember laying on my bunk and I was like, oh, this is how committees are held? This is, this is how they make laws and pass laws and the vote failed, right? And so I became interested in how bills are made, how bills are passed, how laws come about. And then when I when I um, went through my second stint, I said, you know what? I got to get involved with some laws, some lawmakers, changing some laws, because things just wasn't right. So I just came home, and believe it or not, I just contacted my local um, representatives, and I started grilling them. Like, I, I'll pop up. Oh, yeah, Joseph Tober, and I'll say what I got to say. I'll ask my questions, get their phone numbers. Why are you in South Carolina? I'm in South Carolina um, as 
as we are aware that um, Jamie Harrison is running against Lindsey Graham. And I was given the opportunity, like someone called me up to come down here and help organize um, some canvassing down here in South Carolina, where I don't know. I'm in South Carolina, y'all. So um, I was given the opportunity. And you, use our language. You were given the opportunity to go out and bring us together so our voices will be heard. Do you have political aspirations, Joseph? Um, I, have your, I have to be on your campaign. That's what I'm asking. I'm going to put my bid out there, brother. <laughs> sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Um, I'm not always the most diplomatic brother that, that you can talk to. I don't rule it out. I don't rule it out, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than what people think. It's okay. not just me saying I'm a runner. If I'm a run, I'm running to win. And it's going to take volunteers. It's going to take finances. It's going to take a lot of work. So if I ran, I would really have to feel like I have the backing of people to really push me over the edge. So maybe it would be you learning the process and helping me. I don't know what the what it yeah. is, your 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 purpose of that that. I don't know why you're in that spot, but I know that you in that platform is helpful for this moment. So finding a job is not the same as building a career. What has your experience been in terms of building a career? Where are you going to go from here? I'll say that I had no idea that the things I was going through from day to day, right, were actually building me to be where I am now. Like, we don't see the things that when we're going through stuff, we don't see what, how that benefits us tomorrow. So even those jobs and those things and the situations I've been in that did not lead me to a career at that time. And so you look at where I'm at today, like they called me. I didn't call them. I didn't know nothing about this. I, ain't, I was not on my radar. And it's because of my work out in the community and people seeing it. And it's like, oh, I got somebody. Well, now, look, you know what I mean? Who knows what this might lead to from leaving here? Been going on a month. This is a month assignment right here. Hotel paid for and everything. Who knows what this might lead to? Maybe somebody else's campaign might say, hey, what's that bald head guy with them big eyes? Get him again. What's the value of um, starting a Black-owned business? So in terms of closing the economic gap, I think that is very important that, and, and also it's important to have something for our children, right? Also it's important that, I don't want to say to be a role model, but even to be an inspiration to others within our community I can't, I can't put a value on it, but we definitely need black businesses within our community. We need to support each other. We need to continue to grow um, and give back to our communities. It's an old saying, a black man leaves a bill, not a will. That's the value. Yeah. Well, Because I was thinking about what Krista was getting at a little bit earlier about the difference between looking for a job and making a job. And I don't know if you can talk just a little bit more about like, you know, you know, the, the value of making a job and not just looking for someone to give you a job. They say that the number one employer for returning citizens is entrepreneurship. 
And the crazy thing about it is a lot of us are good workers. We'll work hard. We just won't be given a chance. So guess what? You got two feet. You got two hands. Get out here and create a job for yourself. If I had to cut grass and start a lawnmower services, I would do that. So, yeah, I I definitely would recommend and I would champion us creating our own jobs as you don't have to go through all, all of the rejections and the red tapes and things like that that we go through. Why did you decide to go into apparel? It's a DC thing, like, um, you know, the shooters, the whole boys, the madness and all of that. And it also allowed me to um, express myself through the clothes. And so explain the DC thing to me um, a little bit more fully since I don't quite get that. So yeah, the, the urban clothing thing is a DC thing. Like when you talk about clothing brands, you get to talking about madness connection. Back in the day, you get to talking about shooters and hobo. Like it's just a part of our identity to have our own clothing brands that come from DC or Maryland, right there in the metropolitan area. And we support it. Like if you got something that's nice, we're going to buy it. We're going to wear it. Everybody wants the newest brand. Oh, who that? BTDT? Yeah, let me get that. And so um, that's what I mean by it's a DC thing. Just like New Balance. That's a DC thing. Like, it's just Go-Go. That's a DC thing. Like, DC, like Go-Go and Urban Gear, Urban Wear, go hand in hand. Well, Joseph, um, I think that I want to say thank you very, very much for speaking with us today. Oh, no question. I, look, I appreciate y'all for the opportunity. Anytime, I don't care, anywhere. You got my phone number, let's make it happen. Let's see if we can inspire some people to change themselves and do better in life. Thank you, Joseph and Crystal. And thank you, listener. We would love to continue this media project and expand our mission and platform. But in order to do so, We need your support, especially for our season two, as we gather our stories with social distancing protocols in place. If you're interested in hearing more voices like Joseph's and Crystal's, please consider donating to our season two, Reentry Amidst a Pandemic. You can find us at oneinfourpodcast.com. And once again, Many thanks to Community Family Life Services for connecting us with Crystal Marshall. Stay tuned for more of her interviews.